Lowry on the way. Good! Garland spins down the lane and laid it in. This crowd has a rocket! Welcome to Fear the Fro, a podcast covering the Cleveland Cavaliers and the NBA with the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Figure out a way to stop it. Listen and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Here it is, my favorite show. And now, your host. His name is Bob Schmidt. Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. I am Bob Schmidt, your host of this Cleveland Cavalier NBA podcast, voice of Fox Sports Radio, but most importantly, lifelong Cleveland Cavalier fan. I'm riding high tonight. I came in with minimal expectations. I, of course, hope for a victory because the Sixers, much like us, are riddled with injuries, perhaps even more so than us, as they're missing both the members of their starting backcourt. But let's not begin with qualifiers to victory. Nobody had qualifiers for us when Toronto handed us our hats. Nobody cared that we were without players. A loss is a loss. That's what I was told. Let's celebrate, first and foremost, J.B. Bickerstaff, who tonight made a move that I don't think many people anticipated. He took a man on a two-way contract who played last night, scored 21 points, brought him up, and started him alongside Evan Mobley against last year's second-place finisher in the race for the MVP, Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid weighs 280 pounds. Evan Mobley gives up 60 pounds to Joel Embiid. And Mamadi Diakite, for as athletic as he is, is certainly not the Robin Lopez-type build. They took him on with speed and help defense, and they minimized his impact, and they frustrated him. Now, if this went wrong, people would have killed JB. What the hell are you thinking, taking a guy who doesn't even have a guaranteed deal on your roster and putting him in the starting lineup against a league MVP caliber player. That's such a ballsy call from JB. He deserves credit. These are the things people should remember when they're looking for a scapegoat when the Cavaliers lose games during the course of this season. If anything, over the course of this season, I've been content with JB's decision-making, barring a few things here and there. Yes, there are times when a giant run gets ripped off against us, and I look back in hindsight and think, God, I wish there was a timeout during the course of that. But sometimes they happen so fast, it's like a cavalanche in reverse. When we won that game against the Pistons, a lot of people were crushing us for not putting those guys to bed early when they were decimated by injuries as well. But the fact that the Cavaliers prevailed, that was the thing I took out of that. You got one of the worst games of the year, probably the worst game of the year from the starting backcourt, and little to nothing from everyone else except Evan Mobley, and the Cavs still managed to squeak that out. So where I'm going with this here is that I hope the people who are the detractors of J.B. Bickerstaff can look at tonight and see that this man is aware of what's happening out there. He's trying to play to the strengths of the Cavs, and he's he's aware of the guys who he saw what Diakite's been doing. He sees the energy he brings. And despite the fact that he could have just played it safe and put Osman in the starting lineup, put Levert in the starting lineup, no. He did something different, and it worked out, and he deserves credit for that. Joel Embiid weighs 60 pounds more than both Evan Mobley and Mamadi Diakite. Did you think that we would see the results we saw tonight? I hope your answer was no. If it was yes, well, bravo, you have more faith than I do. Because tonight couldn't have gone more differently from how I thought it was going to go with Joel and B. Our lineups are changing all the time due to injuries across the board. Backcourt, wings, frontcourt. There's been very little consistency in that regard. But people seem to hold JB accountable if 
Okoro sucks, or if Levert sucks, or if they both suck together on the same night. Sometimes it's not a question of, was the rotation wrong? It's a question of, why aren't we getting any production out of the players who we have put faith into? And if you want to pin that on JB, so be it. But I will say, I do think it's a little ridiculous to be critical of a guy when a team like the Cavs are playing as well as they are. That Raptors loss, as ugly as it was, it was the second game in two nights. It was on a three-game road trip that had three games in four days. What did anybody expect to happen there? That's a tough matchup for us fully healthy, let alone when we're down a bunch of guys and completely exhausted. And I know from an emotional standpoint, a single loss to the Raptors sometimes feels like two losses because there are very few teams I want to pummel as badly as I want to beat the Raptors. And so far, we're 0-2 against them. But, to be fair, they did try to take Darius Garland's eye opening night, so we weren't playing full strength most of that game. And he put up a clunker before he got hurt. And then last night, that was a shell of a team. Tonight, we got back home, and we've got a stretch in front of us that's going to give the Cavs a serious chance to pile up some wins. 14-8, and 9-1 and one at home, tied for second in net rating with the Phoenix Suns after tonight, second in defensive rating, and seventh in offensive rating. So, obviously, a big win like tonight was going to move them up. And when you look at the Cavaliers' schedule over the next three games, they could easily find themselves sitting at 17-8. and eight. Because right now, this Cavs squad hosts the Magic, an objectively bad team. They go to New York to take on the Knicks, a team that they should beat. And then they host the Lakers. Let's just be honest. They have very little outside of Anthony Davis playing better than he has in quite some time. And LeBron, who's in and out of the lineup a lot this year. Their bench sucks. Half of their starting lineup is completely unreliable. They're so top-heavy, and they're so crippled by the massive cap numbers of their big three, we could rip off the next three games without an issue. And then we get another crack at the Kings on our home floor before taking on the Thunder and the Spurs. Those six games, I would say that five of the six pretty certain victories. I could see the Cavs losing the Kings game. I could see the Cavs losing the Knicks game, perhaps, because they're on the road. But they're hosting the Thunder. They're hosting the Lakers. They're hosting the Magic. And on the road against San Antonio, losers of nine straight. Brutal. Perhaps the worst team in the league. So this part of the Cavs schedule is when you can expect them to put some distance between them and the teams behind them, the Pacers, the Sixers, the Hawks, the Raptors. All of that will be big. There's even a small chance. I think Milwaukee is getting stronger. They've won three in a row as of right now. But the Cavs could run them down. It's conceivable. You could be looking at this two weeks from now, and the Cavs could be the second best team in the Eastern Conference. It's entirely possible. So a night like tonight should bring nothing but praise. It was a nice thing tonight to see them put their foots on the throats of the Sixers in the first half and open up a massive lead and have some breathing room to be able to make some mistakes. Because when you take the pressure off a group as talented as the Cavaliers are, the floodgates can open. A team playing loose with this much talent is a dangerous team. Now let's get back to the Sixers game for a moment because I think all of us were praying that Allen would be available. And when it was announced he was going to be out tonight, I just thought, oh God, this could be ugly. What you could expect to see from Joel Embiid was an absolute masterclass. 
but that is not what happened tonight. In fact, this may perhaps be the worst game I've seen from Joel Embiid against the Cavaliers in several games. Over the course of the season last year, four games against the Cavs, Joel Embiid averaged 35 points, 14 rebounds, and six assists. And he did it while shooting over 50% from the field and over 44% from three. Just complete domination start to finish. But tonight, against the Cleveland Cavaliers, Joel Embiid guarded primarily by Evan Mobley with a lot of help thrown his way from Mamadi Diakite, some Robin Lopez minutes on the big man. What we saw was a frustrated superstar Joel Embiid. 19.6 rebounds, 6 assists. Only 38% from the field tonight. 6 of 16, so sub-38%. He got to the line a reasonable amount of times, but that is typically the way it goes. When Joel Embiid sees the Cavaliers, he forces the issue. Let's not forget, when he played the Cavs in April of this past season, he hung the 44 points on us. 17 of those came from the free throw line. Not only did he look less aggressive and frustrated, but he was way less efficient. He didn't seem to force the action, whether he couldn't or whether he just chose not to assert himself physically. And Evan Mobley on the heels of what was perhaps one of his best defensive efforts in a loss to the Toronto Raptors on Monday put together another excellent game for the Cleveland Cavaliers tonight, which began in the first quarter. Evan came out of the gates, six points, three boards, a couple of assists, and a block. And then the second quarter led the way for the Cavs. By halftime, he had 16 points. The Sixers began the game decently on a 9-2 run. But from that point, the Cavs ripped off 14 straight points. They took the lead. When Mamadi Diakite checked out of the game, the Cavs were up 16-9, and they ended the first quarter on a 4-0 run, which then turned into an 11-0 run as they started to pull away in the second quarter. They scored 44 points in the second quarter, which is just an insane amount. The most complete, balanced effort we've seen in the first half this entire season. They went into the locker room at halftime, up by 21 points. So effectively, the game appeared to be done, but we have seen some massive Cavalier collapses for quarters or for entire halves. So I didn't want to take anything for granted then, because if there's anyone who can close a 20-point lead quickly, it would be a team led by a guy who gets to the line as frequently as Joel Embiid does. Fortunately, things only got worse coming out of the locker room because what was a 21-point lead got stretched to a 32-point lead in four minutes, 80-48. to And that was basically the end of Evan Mobley as he was taken out shortly thereafter and never returned. And I hope all the Evan Mobley detractors out there who shit on his on-off scores or his Raptor scores or his war scores remember that when they're looking at tonight's absolute trouncing of the Philadelphia 76ers, that Evan Mobley did 16-8-3 in 23 minutes. Now, by the way, since I'm still bitter about Toronto, I just hope all of you saw what Scotty Barnes, Rookie of the Year, did tonight as he shot one for seven from the floor, three turnovers, finished the game with four points. This is after Evan Mobley went for 18-15 and 15 against the Raptors while he scored just 11 with four rebounds. By the fourth quarter, Doc Rivers threw in the towel. They went to their bench. They buried Embiid. 
They shut down Tobias Harris, who went 0 for 7 from the floor tonight. In his last five games, has only scored below 23 points one time. He is averaging in excess of 20 points a game. He's hitting the boards, going double-digit rebounds a couple of times in there. Tonight, the final stat line, 0 for 7, three free throws. So that accounted for all of his scoring. Three points, one rebound, three assists. Just an abysmal night. If I tell you that you get a collective 22 points out of Tobias Harris and Joel Embiid, you probably would predict, yes, in fact, that it's going to be a loss. And that is what happened tonight. But let's talk about another man who deserves a lot of shine tonight. And that is Karis LeVert, who recently back from injury came off the bench, which some may have questioned that move to begin with, mainly because we're starting a guy who is a two-way player And we're bringing in Karis LeVert, who dropped 41 earlier this season off the bench. But I think Karis LeVert, he showed tonight how effective he can be when he's making buckets. Mitchell scored 18 points on only nine shots. He shot five for seven from three-point land. And the Cavs won this game going away. A 28-point victory in a game where Donovan Mitchell's entire scoring output was from beyond the three-point arc. He really didn't need to take over this game in a way way which we've seen him have to do in past games. And we got contributions across the board from the wings who at many times throughout the season have been maligned. Karis LeVert, 22 points, six rebounds, four assists, and he did it on eight for 11. That's over 70% from the floor. A truly efficient night from Karis LeVert, who has been struggling before this podcast even began. I've spent half of the last few days reading about what do we do with Karis LeVert. Now, Everybody knows he's in a final year of a contract and perhaps he'll be extended. Perhaps he won't be. There's been discussions about cap space and, well, we shouldn't resign him. We should spend it elsewhere, even though the Cavs will have minimal cap space. And I've said this on Twitter in past days, but even if the Cavaliers were to let Love walk away and let Levert walk away, along with every other expiring or optionable deal on their roster, Windler, Neto, Robin Lopez, Isaiah Mobley, Chetty only has a non-guaranteed deal, so you wouldn't have to pay him out that much. But even if you let every one of those guys walk, you'd only have eight guys on the roster and 16 to $18 million in cap space. Not to mention, no first-round pick. Karis LeVert costs more than that just by himself. And that contract was signed a few years ago, before contracts started to grow and grow even more. So people thinking that the Cavaliers are going to be able to use unrestricted free agency to add to their roster substantially, I think need to reevaluate their outlook on that whole thing. There is very little way to add talent in true unrestricted free agency. Internal growth or sign and trades, those are the way you do it. The way that they got Lowry Markkinen, where they signed him and they traded away Larry Nance in order to make it happen. That's the way that you get guys when you don't have enough cap space to do it. But the reality is, guys like Love and Levert, there's not going to be people pounding down their doors in unrestricted free agency to overpay them, especially if Levert resembles anything of the Levert that we've seen for the past four or so games and not what we got tonight or when he took on the Boston Celtics. What you really need to hope for, for the best, most optimal outcome, is for Karis Levert to play as well as possible. First and foremost, for us. But secondly, if he doesn't like his role with this team and he wants to go elsewhere in free agency, if he has some on-court value, if he excelled here, then maybe he opens up the opportunity for some 
random sign-and-trade scenarios that we may not see right now as things stand. But if he struggles, nobody's going to be looking to give up any kind of assets or reasonably good player in order to obtain his services for next season. It just won't happen. But in Levert's case, if he struggles here, the Cavs' only real option to improve their roster using him is by trading him away and taking on an equivalent or worse player who just happens to be on a bad money deal. Because Levert is not going to be able to be bundled with assets to get an upgrade. We don't have them. We don't have first-round picks. We have some second-round picks, and we have Levert, whose key asset at this point, if his play is poor, might possibly just be the ability to get out of bad money deals. So then you have to start evaluating deals differently. You have to look around the league at guys like your Evan Fournier's. Now, right out of the gate, I should say I don't like that, but it would be a deal you could get done because the Knicks want to get out of the long-term money of Fournier. You can find guys on fairly big money deals who aren't performing the way the teams that signed them expected to and who might just like a reset, which Karis LeVert's contract can provide. Sometimes, if the deal is bad enough, like take Fournier, the Knicks might even be able to bundle some marginal assets a second-round pick, a couple second-round picks, in order to incentivize the Cavs to give them the contract of Levert. But that's really not that desirable to Cleveland because they're trying to get a better roster, not accumulate assets. Now, that's not a desirable deal, in my opinion. I was just picking a guy who I know makes relatively equivalent money. But the next kind of deal that sometimes works is the positional glut trade. That was like what the Kings did in trading Halliburton to bring back Sabonis. Both guys clearly talented. The Kings needed big men. The Pacers needed a guard. It worked for everybody. I would say it worked better for the Pacers. Halliburton looks like an all-star. That's beside the point. Now that brings me to that type of scenario as it could play out with a team like the Cavs and say the Orlando Magic. They have Jonathan Isaac who hasn't played basketball in God knows how long and a pretty large deal. But over the course of the time that he's been injured, they have brought in a ton of shot blocking. They have Mo Bamba. They have Bull Bull. They have Paolo Banquero now. They have all this size. Wendell Carter Jr. They have all this size in the front court where his role with the team may not be what it was. He was viewed as a defensive linchpin, a building block, when he got injured. So perhaps they would look at a guy who's an unknown as to if and when he'll ever come back. And despite the season that he put together before he got injured, they may say, let's just get out of this contract. We have our front court of the future. We have the almost certain rookie of the year in Paolo Banquero. And we have massive length and Mo Bamba and Bol Bol. Maybe we deal him to the Cavs, a giant three who's a defender on a team that's built around an identity of defense. And we get back Karis Levert, who whatever, doesn't matter what he provides for us. He frees up this money for us. And he gets rid of a situation that we want to wash our hands of. And bringing back a guy who, at the time of his injury, was a key part of our future, but now may just be resigned to playing a rotation role. And maybe he's a locker room cancer if he can't adapt to that. Now, I'm not advocating for that deal either, simply because he's been gone too long for me to be willing to take that gamble on Isaac, if they even wanted to offload him. The Cavaliers can't afford to get rid of Levert unless they're getting a piece back who is legitimately a top seven player in their rotation and is locked in for multiple years. You're rolling the dice 
on a guy who may never come back. I loved him as a player his final season before he got injured, but I do think the Cavs need a little bit more offensive punch than what he can provide. And while the elite defensive potential that would lie there with having three seven-footers again, that would be exciting. I was pitching it out there more for the fact that he's damaged goods on a big deal, but you're going in a youthful direction as opposed to just taking on a big money contract for an older vet. That's a true roll the dice move that you would have to have some big balls to make. He's got two more years left after this, but there's only partial guarantees on next season. So I don't think that deal's viable, mainly because if the Magic wanted to get rid of Isaac, they essentially could be out of it minus $7.5 million by just waving him outright at the end of this season. My whole point here is to reinforce the idea that you have to consider how does this benefit the other side, not just how do we get rid of a guy who's underperforming. Because I think there's one other type of trade which you sometimes see, and this is certainly the kind of trades that the Cavs made during LeBron's first tenure. They had that summer where they signed Larry Hughes and Daniel Marshall and Damon Jones. And from that point, because of how disappointing Hughes was, they were chasing bad money with worse money. They took Ben Wallace, who had basically nothing left in the tank, and Sasha Pavlovich, and they turned that into Shaq, who was also old, but he was Shaq. So the hope was, well, maybe we'll be slightly better. They took long in the tooth Zildrunas Ilgoskis, and they traded him away to bring in Jameson from the Wizards. And then, of course, they got Z back, but that's not really the point here. The point here is that they had some bad contracts on their books, and they did what they had to do to turn them even into slightly more productive bad contracts. And that's something teams like the Mavericks or the Heat could be looking to do. Take the Heat. They have a bad contract with Duncan Robinson. Makes $18 million a year. They have an expiring contract for a good rotation player, Max Struess, but may not have the desire to extend him at what it will cost them to retain him. That might be a situation where they flip those guys for players who they think can be as productive and still extract some value from an expiring asset in Struess, who you probably can't afford to retain. So maybe they take Struess, knowing that he's a better player than Karis LeVert role-wise this year, or at least arguably, and the incentive for them is they get to bundle Duncan Robinson with him as a way to get off that contract, which has more years on it, then Karras, who expires at the end of this season. We get Struess, who's a pretty reliable scorer, 16 points a game this season, but we have to deal with paying him. The Heat get to offload Duncan Robinson, who they pretty much have regretted since they signed him because he's been a shell of what he was the year before that extension. Would that happen? I don't think so, because even if the Heat are resigned to losing Max Struess in the summer, the same can be said of Karras Levert. Both guys, if they're part of your long-term picture, They'd need to be paid in the summer. So I just don't think that the ability to offload Duncan Robinson's contract is that valuable. Jimmy Butler still thinks that this team can be dangerous in the postseason. And if the Heat should learn from any of their mistakes, it should be don't get rid of people who your star players like. You have the Phoenix Suns, who have a player in Jay Crowder who is giving them nothing on court, but could be traded to the Cavs. For Karis LeVert, you'd have to bundle something with it on the end of the Phoenix Suns to make the money work. But I have said this before again and again. If the guy's unwilling to play for a playoff contender, a championship contender like the Phoenix Suns, I don't want any part of him with the Cavs. The motivation, say what you will about Karis LeVert 
and his struggles, but he seems to be a team player. The only motivation for trading Karis LeVert should be if there is a definitive upgrade who will help this team compete better. And I don't believe that's Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder wanted an extension from the Suns. They wouldn't give it to him, so he removed himself from the situation entirely. That is not the guy you can plop in the middle of a locker room whose vibes are fantastic right now, especially knowing that he's an expiring deal. He could come in, demand money, and if the Cavs don't give it to him, tear that thing down from the inside, and then walk away this summer anyway. On to the Dallas Mavericks. That's a team that has a guy like Bertans on a long-term bad deal because he makes roughly what Karis LeVert makes, and he's still got two seasons left after this. Maybe that's a team that's similar to the first run with LeBron on the Cavs, is desperate for any upgrade of talent around a guy like Luka in hopes that he won't eventually leave the franchise, and they just say, okay, we'll bundle an asset, like a pick, whether it be a second-round pick, whether it be a protected first-round pick, with the bad contract of Bertans, and send that to the Cavs for Karis LeVert, who we think could add some scoring punch alongside Luka, who is carrying so much of the load himself. That, of all the deals that I brought up, I think that one is the most realistic and viable for the Dallas Mavericks, but I simply don't think that's what the Cavs are looking to do. They're not trying to acquire draft assets. They're trying to acquire the best possible rotation right now. And Levert out for Bertans in does not do that. You're taking a step backwards, but hoping that they incentivize it with future assets. So unless it's some sort of reroute that pick to somewhere else to get a better player situation, then it doesn't make sense, in my opinion, for the Cleveland Cavaliers. I guess my whole point in this little rant is that when I see proposals like, oh, we should we should get Jeremy Grant for Karis LeVert, and what? We don't have picks. We could get Kuzma because he's expiring. With what? We don't have anything of value to offer them. Giving them an expiring deal back does nothing for them, especially when Kuzma's the far better player. We can't trade a worse player for a better player unless we're bundling other assets and we're not breaking up the core and we don't have first-round picks. So really, when Levert is frustrating you, you just have to put your hopes in the idea that the alternatives to Levert can up their game to the point where you won't miss him if he leaves because the growth from this team has to come from guys like Dean Wade, Lamar Stevens, Mamadi Diakite. That's the much more realistic route to the improvement of the roster overall. Because aside from some mid-level exceptions and veteran minimums and biannual exceptions, the deal for Mitchell was the all-in move. We can take some of the bit players, move them around, sign different guys, but the star trades are done. The much more talent in for much less talent out trades, those are over because we don't have the equalizer, which is the draft picks. Our options are players with baggage, players with bad contracts, or equivalent players who just simply don't fit with their current team, and we swap problems with someone else. That's really kind of what we're looking at. Now, if we extend him on a reasonable money contract, that opens up trades possibilities down the line, but it shuts them for this season. Now, that's enough trade talk after a win. I really went down the wormhole there, but let's bring it back to the wings in this 76ers game. Look at all the wings collectively. You got 11 points and five boards out of Okoro. And on efficient shooting, five for seven, to go along with three steals. That's st- six steals between Wade and Okoro. To say nothing of the fact 
that Levert gave you 22, 6, and 4. Osman was a respectable 9 and 5. If you get that kind of supporting play from the rotation players, look at how much pressure it took off of Donovan Mitchell. He didn't need to give you 30 points tonight. Garland was masterful tonight. 21 points, 9 assists. He made some crazy passes. There was one particular dime to Dean Wade in the first quarter where he cut to the hoop. Dean Wade did. Got a reverse layup on what was a look away, just dime to split between two people. Incredible passes. He had another one where he hit Levert. Now, Levert didn't finish it. I don't think he was even expecting the pass. Levert standing there right in front of the rim. Seemed shocked he even got it. It was just a complete effort, start to finish. This is one of those games where you can't even point to one of the wings and say that they were bad because all of them were serviceable. Diakite, his energy, his ability to bring doubles. Now, he made some mistakes, mainly in the area of getting those illegal defense calls. Certainly, those are mistakes that come from overcommitting to try to help on defense. But the fact that he's aware of what is going on in the court out there is exactly what you want. And if you make some mistakes, but the ultimate result is that Joel Embiid was clearly taken out of his game tonight, well, I'll take that every time. He took four shots from outside. He is not shy. Two three-pointers, pretty solid defense, and we've seen earlier in the season what the man is capable of in terms of contesting shots at the rim. So just another name to add into the mix of the wing options that we have. Stevens was playing very well before he went down. They've all had games and moments where they look like, well, this this type of thing turns us from a good team into a great team. Uh, And I've said this multiple podcasts. I've said all along, I don't have a favorite in this situation. The guys who I like the most tend to be the ones who are playing the most consistent. So Lamar Stevens, I've been a big fan of, you know what you're going to get from him. You're going to get physical, hard effort on defense, solid rebounding from him, and some confidence, putting the ball on the floor and going to the hoop and back cuts and things of that nature. Okoro has been very up and down. But credit to Okoro, he has been much better as of late. Against the Raptors, he was abysmal. They left him wide open. He was 0 for 5 from outside. But Isaac Okoro has strung together some decent games recently as we've seen efforts from Okoro where 13 points, 4 rebounds, 7 points, 7 rebounds, 11 points, 5 rebounds tonight with a few steals. So nothing incredible but efficient. Multiple nights where he shot over 50%. Take out that clunker on Monday against Toronto and in his last four games, he has not shot below 50% from the floor. You don't need Okoro to do a ton, but if he can chip in anywhere from 6 to 10 points on efficient play, play hard defense, come back and crash the glass when we need help preventing teams from getting offensive rebounds, and it was a gang effort tonight in stopping Embiid from being able to dominate the glass. You saw many times Mitchell come back on rebounds, Dean Wade come in from the perimeter to help secure defensive rebounds. The Cavaliers had 40 rebounds to just 30 for the Philadelphia 76ers. And their efficiency in the first half was insane. They were shooting 70-60 splits. At one point in the game, early in the third quarter, when they opened it up to a 30-point lead, they were shooting 73% from the floor and 73% from three. Now, when you're playing with a 30-point lead, you start to take worse shots. That did cool off, but they finished the night shooting 61% from the floor and 52% from three, which is ridiculous. So 
a complete effort from Cleveland tonight, and one that certainly has to make people who have been concerned about the wing play and the supporting cast play of the Cavs feel much better. Many positive signs to look to, and just a great day to take the Fear the Fro podcast. I want to thank everybody who has subscribed and rated and listened to this podcast consistently. Every week I see it growing by leaps and bounds, and that's because of you. And just as an aside, I got a very kind email from a listener this week at bobatfropod.com who said that they appreciated that the podcast is without advertisements. Well, you're welcome, but uh, do understand that someday I hope to be a complete sellout. Right now, though, I'm not doing this to monetize this. That's really not the goal. I just want to put together the best Cavs content I can. I also love the people who have sent me screen caps of their Spotify lists saying that I was amongst their podcasts, I consider that an honor. A lot of amazing Cavs content out there. So those of you who have listened so much and what, let's be perfectly honest, I basically took a summer hiatus. So if you listen enough for me to crack that list, that's amazing. And I loved seeing those things. So thank you. So there's the first win in the streak. The first win in what could turn into a seven-game win streak. Uh, You heard it here. Probably not first, but you did hear it here. So file that away. Hopefully. I won't be eating those words within a few days here. Okay? Thank you. Goodbye. This has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy, Bob Schmidt, always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.